Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, how many of you guys believe that? Right? Jesus is coming. Would you stand with me? I'm glad that you're here this morning. We're going to read out of Mark chapter 12 is where we're going to start at. We'll read a couple other scriptures to bring you up to speed if you haven't been able to be a part of this. If you have, awesome. It'll be a reminder for you guys that hasn't. Um, we'll bring you up to speed. We've been on a series called um, One Kingdom and Many Keys. Or Many Keys, One Kingdom, excuse me. And the first key that we talked about was faith and how we understand that faith really opens up the other keys. We talked about authority, how that's a two-edged sword, submission, and we have to walk in it. We talked about communication, which we know our communication is vertical. We have to get our relationship right with God first, and then things on the horizontal level work out with family and friends and so forth. Pastor Mike did a knockout job last week of helping us understand, yeah, amen, of helping us understand reaping and sowing and the principle behind that, that it's a law. It's not something we wish would happen or something that's going to happen, right? It's a law. As much as gravity is what you reap is what you sow. You can't sow corn and reap um, apples. It's not going to happen. Um, and then today we're going to talk about this very important key of balance. How many of you guys would like maybe a more balanced life? Yeah, it's something that we should pursue. It's difficult and it's tough, but we're going to do that. Now, as we read here out of Mark 12, Jesus is addressing some scribes and different Jewish leaders. And he reads from what they would know as the Shema. Now, the Shema is a prayer that was offered up in the morning and in the evening by devout Jews and still will be. Uh, many of them hope to, when they pass away, the, it, they die with it on their, on their lips. And they ask the question to him, they say, what is the greatest commandment? And uh, they're not asking that because they truly want to know as much as they want to try to confuse our Lord and Savior. But how many of you guys know Jesus is not confused, amen? Yeah, he's not. Um, we get sometimes, but he is not. And here he answers with this. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your understanding. The second is this, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are bowed to you. We're grateful to be in your house. Our hearts are elated. Our spirits are expecting you to speak to us and change us in every way, God, that we could honor you and be like you, Father, to represent you. Speak to your children this morning. Use me as your vessel. And everyone says, amen, amen. You may be seated. Wave at your neighbor. So I'm glad to see you. Especially if it's your spouse. It's always good to have good relations there. If you're whatever device you're joining us by and streaming, thank you so much. We want to let you know how grateful we are that you would take time to do that. You're important, and we love you, and we're so glad that you're a part of this. As Jesus was talking here, I'm looking to this text this morning because I see that he was talking to some leaders that were out of balance. These are the type of leaders that Jesus refers to when he would look at the hills and he would see what we would refer to as white sepulchers or tombs that were painted white. And he would be talking to guys like this and he would say, listen, this is your issue, this is your problem. You're like those whitewashed tombs. You're great on the outside, but on the inside you're dead man's bones. You're dry. There's no life in you. And here he's talking to these men and that these men have accomplished greatness in their eyes. They follow the law. They do what the traditions and customs expect them to do. But they have lost their heart for their God. 
Jesus is speaking to them and they don't recognize that Jesus is God. And they've lost their heart for it. So he's trying to pull them back in. And I want, we'll clarify this a little bit, uh, a little bit in, in further in the message. But it's important to know that Jesus was not coming to these men in hatred or fear or anger. Jesus had compassion and love. Now, how many of you guys know Jesus didn't put up with any static, right? Okay, he would put you in your place, but he would do it in a loving way. And here he wasn't angry or frustrated or wanting these guys to go to hell. Instead, much the very opposite. When he was with his disciples on one journey and a, a city shut him out, one of his disciples opened up their mouth and said, Let's go firebomb the town, man. Brain it. Make it, make it rain, Jesus. And Jesus was like, Whoa, hold on. He goes, What spirit are you from? I didn't come to destroy life. I came that people may have life. And, of course, that caused them to change their story. And here he's talking and he's instructing and he's inspiring and influencing these men that they would get back on track and get their balance correct. That it's not just about what we do on the outside, it's what we do on the inside. It's not just about loving God with our actions or, or with our words, but there's this heart and this soul that's seated deeply. Amen? And there's a balance in that. But we know balance is important. Um, we know that we need to be spiritually balanced. Now, I understand that there is no other gods before our God, but we understand that you can sometimes become too spiritual. You guys know any spiritually weird people? Yeah, and the, and the crowd laughs because we know that. You know, it's like, I don't know if there's any balance in their life. You know what I mean? Like they know when to praise the Lord or, or maybe there's some kind of mystical weird thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and you're like, no, I don't want to be around that person, right? Okay, we don't want to be, we don't want to be people like that. Uh, it's okay to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and the Holy Spirit can do amazing things. But uh, if we're repelling people, we might we need to change our story. But we got to be spiritually balanced. How many of you guys know any emotionally unstable people? Yeah, don't look. Don't look. Don't, don't look. Forward, forward. So, my wife is emotionally stable, by the way, in case you guys thought I was alluding. I love my marriage. I'm very blessed. But we all know those emotionally uh, unbalanced people, and we wish they were balanced. Um, maybe we become unbalanced in our finances. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, you get kind of turned upside down, and you don't know what's going on. Um, how about have, have you had unbalanced marriage and family? You know, where you're trying to balance the kids and trying to balance your spouse and it just doesn't seem to work out and one more gets more time than the other. Or uh, maybe work and family. And we should strive to be balanced in these areas because it opens up keys to other parts of our life. It opens up opportunities. And today what I want to talk about is how we need to have a balanced view of God. And we'll talk more practically within that. And then we need to talk about how we should serve God. That there's a balanced way to do what God calls us to do. Amen? And, and what he calls us, how he calls us to love him. Um, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And um, not just compartmentalize God. Like, I'm going to go out here. And I learned as a young married man that I could come home. And uh, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. I could come home and maybe have the house vacuumed and the dishes washed, you know, and maybe a load of clothes in the laundry. But if I talk hateful to my wife, I just vetoed everything that I did, right? Yeah, doesn't work that way. She needs all of me, and God wants all of us. It's back to that balance. I was thinking about, as I was preparing this message, my dad has been a 40-year mechanic. 
And one of the things that he taught me is understanding pulleys. And if you take a pulley in a car, and you don't have to be too mechanically sound to understand what I'm saying. But a pulley is something usually a rope goes around or, or maybe a belt on a car. And you turn that ignition on, and when everything's balanced, it runs really smooth, right? But if a bearing goes out on that pulley or something breaks, all of a sudden that bearing and that pulley starts to wobble back and forth, right? Now, this is the thing. For a little while, it can be unbalanced, but what eventually happens? It breaks off of there, right? It, it, you have a moment in your life to where the mechanism breaks. And whenever we continue in an unbalanced life, it's just a matter of time, something's going to break. And this is the thing. Whenever that pulley comes off of there, it usually tears up two or three other things, too. People are looking at us. We have influence on people. And whenever we don't get our stuff straight, we cannot think that it won't affect other people. Amen? That's the biggest lie that Americans or whoever's been told is that I'm just going to do what I'm going to do and that's not going to affect other people. That's not true. If that was true, then Jesus' death on the cross wouldn't matter. But it does. What he did affects my life and affects your life. Amen? And that's what he teaches us. And I'll settle down. I'm getting kind of early in the message to get worked up here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to calm down here a little bit. But this, this, this area of balance is so, so very important. And as he's talking to these Jew, Jewish leaders, they're, they're completely unbalanced. They, 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 he goes back, and it's very interesting that Jesus would co quote the Shema. So many of them would have prayed it that morning, uh, prayed it that evening, even after the conversation. And what Shema means is it means here. So at the beginning, when, it's, when Jesus says, this is important, hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel. And that's the reason why it's called the prayer called Shema. And it's really made up of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and, and Numbers. There's about 20 verses in there that it's made from. But Shema just means to hear. Now, the word Shema has one meaning. It means to hear, but it also leads us to understand that it means to hear and do. So I hear, I listen, I foc I'm focused, and I'm attentive in the way that you know because there is a response that follows. Have any of you parents in here talked to your children, and then after you told them to do something, it was like they didn't even hear what you said? Yeah, that's hard to admit, but it happens, right? Because kiddos will be kiddos. Some of you guys are looking at your husbands and wives. <laughs> I understand that. I understand that, too. I'm like, yes, Mary, yes, yes. She goes, you have no idea what I just said. I said, yes, I do. And then she asked me the question that I loathe. What did I just say? I don't know. So, I, you know, it's just... You, you, but the Shema, that's what that means, to hear, to listen, to engage... And he's, he's calling these Jewish leaders to, to get back on balance. They had lost their balance. The law had become God. Their pride had become God. They were looking at the face of God. They were looking into Jesus. And they couldn't even recognize him because of their iniquity, because of their selfishness. And they were completely unbalanced. Now, in a physical life, balance is so important. I was talking to Dr. Jeff the other day as I was sharing with him what I was speaking about. And he goes, Matt, you know, on a baby, the spinal cord develops from the neck down. He said that is the reason why it's important for the baby to have neck control. And then you see shoulder movement, right? And then he said you see arm movement. And then they begin to crawl and, and they begin to do these type of things and even roll over. Now... I came from a family who didn't really celebrate too many things. I mean, we celebrated birthdays and Christmas and things like that. And then I married my, into my sweet family with Mary, and they celebrate everything. 
Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter birthdays, somebody's home for two days, we're going to throw a party, we're going to celebrate. And Callie, yeah, yeah, good parties, not bad parties, okay, good parties. This clarification. But we're going to celebrate everything. And it was new to me. So Callie rose over in the floor, and the living room just erupts in celebration. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, Callie rolled over. I'm like, is she supposed to do that? Like, I mean, this is the thing that we're celebrating? Yeah. Well, good Lord, I can't wait till she crawls. We're gonna, maybe I'll get a car out of this deal. I don't want her to buy it, you know? Yeah. But, they, but, but then they walk, and then they, they crawl. And, and, and it shows us, the physical representation shows us what happens when we get balance in our life and we develop. Because I, I can't push myself over until my shoulders develop, and then I push myself over, and then I, I crawl, and then I walk, and then I run. And as a Christian, if you're trying to create balance in your life, now if you're a non-Christian, the primary way to start balance is your life is you need to give your heart to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, okay? Because your views and everything's out of whack. But if you are a Christian, then you have to be patient with, your, patient with yourself because balance is something that we grow into. We learn how to balance this area, then this area, then maybe this and maybe that, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't serve God with everything within us, but there's a balance to that. Here's some thoughts that I, I thought about on balance. So first of all, balance doesn't come natural. How many of you guys remember your kids trying to walk? Right? It just was not a very natural thing. You, you walked and you walked and you stood across the room and let them walk. And then I think of baby animals that are being born. And it takes a little time for them to get their feet up underneath them and for them to uh, get away. And, and, and a side note, that's the reason why as Christians we need to watch out for new Christians. Because whenever a new baby is born, they're extremely vulnerable to who? The enemy. Because they can't really do much, but maybe walk or crawl a little bit. And if you guys have ever watched any of the uh, National Geographic uh, channel when the, the crouching lion is hidden and it sees the baby gazelle, right? Yeah. Have you ever seen one of those guys escape? I haven't. So you got to be careful. But, but just a side note there, just a side note, as we have new Christians, it's important for us to realize that we need to guard them and help them. Amen? Because they're learning. And maybe you're creating a balance in your life. Don't get discouraged. Be patient with it because God wants to work with you. Here's another thing that I've learned is you can lose your balance. Has anybody ever lost their balance? Yeah. Yeah, I got a way better response in the 830 service. Everybody was like, yeah, I've lost my balance, man. I've fallen over, you know. Of course, there's a little bit more walkers and canes in there, you know, that type of deal. Great people, but they were like, yeah, I know what you mean, Matt. I know what you mean. And, and how do we lose our balance? Sometimes we can get disoriented, right? Have you guys ever, some of you younger guys don't know what we're talking about for us older guys, you know. Have you ever been working in the garden or working on a car or something like that and you stand up real quick and you just get dizzy, you know, and you're like, ooh. I was talking to Galen this morning, and he goes, man, whenever I get up in the middle of the night, I shuffle my feet. I've already learned my lesson about just taking off and tromping across the house in the dark. You can lose your balance, right? Well, sometimes that's what happens in life, too, is you're trying to create this balance that God has put on your heart for whatever it is, and we get disoriented. Life comes at you fast is what the commercial says, right? And sometimes this hits you and that hits you and this hits you, and you don't know what's going on, and you get disoriented, and you lose your balance. But we have to go back and try to find that balance, amen? Another way that we can lose our balance is we can trip and fall. I was helping 
A kiddo the other day cut some limbs away from his power line. Now, it wasn't the power line that goes between the telephone poles, but it was the power supply from the telephone pole to his house. And we would cut five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten limbs down that weren't very big, and they would be on the ground. And I, would, and I told him, I said, now listen, what you do is you put your tool to the side and you clean up all of these limbs because what you don't want to do is trip and fall. Well, in our life, some of us may need to clean some stuff up. Maybe there's some sin that we haven't addressed that we need to clean up. Maybe there's some hurt or some unforgiveness, some things that uh, we've maybe ignored that maybe we need to clean up to get back on balance. Amen? And God wants to help us do that. But whenever we're on balance, we can run in tip-top shape. And we know ultimately that balance can unlock other areas. I did a little bit of research, and really one of the only articles that I could find, you guys know what the, 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 the sport that requires the most balance is? Surfing. Yeah, we don't do a whole lot of surfing in Oklahoma, do we? No, we don't. That's the reason why not very many people knew it. I was thinking surfing. I was thinking that's true because you're on this board and you're on the wave and you're kind of at the mercy of the ocean. But those guys have so much balance. Another one was horseback riding. That if you're in the competitions of horseback riding, you have to have a large amount of balance. And then uh, one of the funny ones I found was table tennis. Oh, yeah. How many of you guys have been watching the Olympics? All right, three people. All right, I have. So we're four. We're together. We're together. Help me out here. So the tennis, and I love watching these guys who play table tennis. You know what I mean? They have the stance of a middle linebacker, except for they're like 75 pounds in really short shorts, you know. And they have jerseys. I mean, they are ready to go. They're like, bring me to the table tennis table. Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, they're like, you know, sucking water down, have to have breaks. It's crazy. And there's something that's hysterical and funny and also engaging about people who, who know how to do, who are the very best at what they do, amen? I mean, this guy, if I play ping pong, the game's over within 30 seconds. I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know? These guys are jumping all over the deal and having fun, but it requires a large amount of balance to have that. So here's something. How about some people that we hope have balance in our life? Yeah, I was thinking, I hope my surgeon has balance. Yeah, walking towards me with the scalpel. Don't trip, bro. Don't trip, Scarface. Scarface, not good, okay? I want my surgeon to know what he's doing whenever, you know, I don't want him to write my name on my chest. If you need to open it up, get it done, right? Ooh, how about a construction worker? Yeah, that'd be fun. Have you guys ever looked at something somebody's built and they really thought they've done a good job? Once again, don't look around. And then you have to kind of twist your head to the side and then it kind of straightens it up. Yeah, I hope my construction worker has balance. I hope that, you know, my house is not crooked, you know, or something weird. Like, I built these cabinets for you. Really? Because everything slides off. I don't understand what the deal is, you know? We want our construction workers. And finally, uh, I was even thinking about this. I was thinking about a little story the other day with Callie. Callie went in to got her, get her ears pierced several years ago. And, boy, I talk, talk about a crazy experience. We're in the mall, and we've got some ants around us, and we got Nana with us. So I decide this is the day that we're going to get our ears pierced. Why? Because I am not alone, right? I am not alone. So we get our ears pierced, and she does good on the first one, doesn't she? Until that pain hits. Then they gave her this teddy bear to hang on to, and she's doubled up on this teddy bear and holding it and won't let it go. And she's saying, I don't want to get my other ear pierced. I don't want to like, Listen, we're not leaving it with one ear. I don't know what all that means, but we're not doing that. That's really unbalanced. We're going to get the other ear pierced, and we're going to take this one out. And I was thinking about even people like that, how grateful I am that they have balance. Because you imagine, oops, sorry, got your nose or got your eyelid or something reared. You know, stab you in the chest. Good God. You know, something like that. But we want these people to have balance. And that's all comical. But we understand how important balance is. Good news is Callie got her other ear pierced. So, amen, we made it through. 
Um, just wanted to finish the story. Didn't want to leave you guys hanging in suspense all weekend or anything, you know. I knew you guys would go home and ponder over that. So try to help you out there. But we see the balance is important. And here Jesus is bringing the balance. Now I understand he's, he's bringing correction. Don't get me wrong. But I think we can look and see the pattern of how we can bring into balance. And the first thing that we see in Mark 12 and 29 is Christ says this. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He brings in this balanced view of God. What God is not is traditions. Can I get an amen? What God is not is the law. What God is not... Okay, now I know that Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, but it's not in customs. What God is not is anything that I can do in myself. See, the law was there to create men to get them closer to God. It was about fulfilling the law because they had a heart for God. It wasn't about fulfilling the law so we could check something off of our list. And Jesus is perking up their ears and he says, listen. He says, he's calling them to this focus. He said, the most important is... So he's saying, listen, I'm about to say something that's vital. I want you to focus. I want you to pay attention. But he's not asking them or us to do anything that he doesn't do himself. In Psalms 18 and 6, it says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. You see how he began to focus. God focuses on our prayers whenever his children cry out. It says two things. That it came before him so he had, we have his attention, but it also was in his ears. So we see that there's that balance there. That he's, he's calling them to do the same thing. Listen, I'm about to say something that's important. And then he says, I don't want you to only focus here, but I really want you to hear. I really want you to listen. He is calling for an ear for those to hear. Hear, O Israel, or Shema, O Israel. I want you to hear, and the way that I know that you're hearing is because I can see you're paying attention. The way that I know that you're paying attention is because of your response. In Proverbs 20 and 12, it says this, the hearing ear and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. The Shema ear, or the seeing eye. Shema, the, the ear that responds, the ear that hears, the ear that listens, the ear that pays attention. So he's asking them, listen, hear, O Israel, I'm trying to tell you some things. So he gets that cleaned up and he says, listen, you are focusing on the wrong thing. Your attention is within yourself. And you know as well as I do, when we get our attention on ourselves and not what God has called us to do, how many of us know we are completely off balance? Amen. And it's just a matter of time before the pulley comes off. And then he goes on and Jesus makes this next statement. He he said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I love how he squashes division here. See, he would have been talking to Jews that would have been taken over by Romans, which would have been a polytheistic religious society. That means they had many gods. So he's making sure that everybody understands that there's only one God, right? Behold, our God is one, and he squashes that division immediately. But other things can creep into our life and become God. But what Jesus does is he says, listen, you don't have to pray to the sun God. You don't have to pray to the rain God. You don't have to pray to all these guys that have been made up in mythology. There is one God, and the Lord our God, and the Lord is one. So there's no division. You go to him in John 10 and 30. Jesus speaks and he says, I and the Father are one. 
John 17 and 3, Jesus speaks again. He says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus Christ came and gave his life God wrapped in flesh because he and God are one. Timothy is, is getting a letter from Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. And Paul latches on to this with Timothy. And Timothy would have been in a society that could have had many gods. That people were doing everything else in the world to some degree besides serving God. And if you are like me, sometimes you can just get distracted. Sometimes you have to do a time check. You have to do a heart check because we can feel like we're serving God like we're supposed to. Now listen, Christian brothers and sisters, we're going to talk about repentance here in a second. It doesn't mean we've lost our salvation, but we have to do that heart check. What I've, in, what I've put myself into, what I've given my passion to, A, does it honor God? B, did you tell me to do it? Because even if it honors God, but God didn't tell me to do it, we can still be out of His will. Amen? Because now the purpose becomes my God and not God stays my God. And behold, our God is one. So there's one singular focus. Amen. Jesus Christ, the name above every name. Amen. Getting excited again. 2 Timothy 2 and 5. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. So we know Jesus Christ, very truly God and very truly men. Very truly a man. But these guys would not hear it. They wouldn't have any part of it. But I think today, to hit home with us, if we were to be sitting in these men's position, I think maybe another way to put that was be this, that activities are not God. Material possessions are not God. There's not two, three, five, six, ten, twelve gods in heaven. There's one. And he begins to talk to these men, but in our culture, in our society, we see that all these other things that dominate time, that dominate our eyes, that dominate our mind, that dominate our strength. And this is the thing. God said, if you're going to serve me, I'm the one that dominates your time, your strength, your passions, your possessions. So we do that heart check because we can only go out of balance so long before something will break and it's going to cause some other damages. But I love how he simplifies it and he gets us in. So it helps us understand that as we view God, we view him as judge and rewarder. We view him as savior and king, as friend and Lord. Although he allows me to go through trials, he walks with me through those trials. Although he is a giver, he can be a taker. Although he gives me his approval, he can still correct me. Amen. And it helps us having this view, Isaiah 55 and 6 through 7. Isaiah is talking about seeking the Lord while he may be found and call upon him when he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for his abundant pardon. And it begins to help us understand that even Isaiah here is saying, listen, there's one God that we go after. And we have to make sure that He is the central focus because what it'll do practically is help us with our study. Whenever we seek God, I don't care about what other men say about God. I care about what God says about God. We're so caught up in our culture and all these isms that we need to go back to what did Jesus Christ know. See, Paul wrote to the Philippians and he said this in chapter 3, verse 10, that I may know Him. Not that 
I may know the people that wrote about him, not, the, not that I might know your opinion or my opinion, but what Paul said is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He goes back to that singular focus, amen? Because whenever we study, it'll help us practically. We don't have to go after all these rabbit trails. It also helps us in prayer. Isaiah here is saying, call upon him while he is near. See, our prayer is to call upon him, but sometimes our hearts can fool us. Sometimes we can think that God doesn't hear us, that God's not listening, that he's not a part of what we're doing. And then that's whenever we have to pull back and realize that God's trying to do some things. He's trying to instruct some things in our lives. But if we understand that there is one God and he's going to look down from heaven, okay, and we know that through Jesus Christ we have a relationship, then we know that he does hear us, that he does care about us. And we know that sometimes we can just get so busy and communicate uh, in communication with God that we leave out Christ. We can get so busy in doing what God has called us to do. Have any of you guys ever been so busy in something that God has called you to do that you forgot to ask God if you still need to be doing it? That's what prayer's for, right? And since I know I have a singular focus, prayer's not an issue. Because I know he hears and I know he speaks to me. I just have to listen. I have to shema. I have to listen and be attentive and be focused and apply it to my life. But it also helps us with repentance. I love what Isaiah says here in chapter 55 where he talks about repentance. He said, let the wicked forsake his ways and thoughts. And then he also says this magic word, return to the Lord. Okay? So that helps us as Christians with repentance, that we got to repent before the Lord. But what does it say? It says, and when we do that, we know what? He will have mercy and will have abundant pardon. And we've got to be at that place where we say, God, I want to repent. See, it helps us get that out. Even in our relationships, one of the strongest things that we can do in our relationships is say, I'm sorry and mean it. There's no telling how many marital problems would be solved if one or the other would just come up and say, I'm sorry. Take responsibility. How many relationships between children and parents would be better or friendships would be salvaged and saved just because we lower our pride? In World War II, we, of course, we know whenever they would assault the beaches and many of the enemy would hide in bunkers. And they couldn't be detected, and they were having trouble finding them. And it wasn't until maybe they taken that bunker over or forced them out that they would come out waving that white flag, and they would give them the bunker. Well, some of us tend to hide in bunkers. Maybe it's the bunker of unforgiveness. Maybe it's the bunker of anger. Maybe it's the bunker of sin. And we're down in there. And the powerful thing about repentance and understanding the view of God is that he's a loving God, and he wants us to come out from that, waving that white flag and saying, God, you can have all of me. Whatever I'm hiding behind, God, you take it and you run with it. But with an inappropriate view of God and we don't have that balanced view of God, we either see him as authoritarian and totalitarian and a tyrant or we see him as what we see in our community and in the church as a whole is this hyper grace. Oh, you can do anything and God will accept you. No, you can't do anything. Biblically, you can't. So we can get, we can get the pendulum swinging either far, but we come back to this view that he is both rewarder, Right? And he's also the one that can take away. He's also the one that can correct, but he's also the one that can approve us. As he continues in verse 30, it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. See, he brings these guys back into balance. He's trying to instruct them. And, and, and I take it that he loves them and he's trying to care for them. In Matthew 23 and 37, when Jesus cries or mourns, it says he laments over the city of Jerusalem. This is what he says. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those. Sorry. Stone those who, I was trying to read the screen up there, so that was my bad. And stone those who sent to it. 
those who were sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children as hens gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See, Christ is in this spirit of mourning because he's trying to bring his children back to him. He's trying to bring it in and saying, listen, it's not just some action that we do, but we can become, we can become unbalanced if it's just a heart issue. If it's, I don't have any actions to follow, I just feel the passion and good. Hey, listen, Herod went out and heard John the Baptist preach, and he would go out and do that a couple times, then he would go back into the palace and do ungodly things. It's not just enough to be moved, but actions have to follow. See, Christ is demanding that he has our dreams, he has our passions, he has our possessions. That's what he's demanding. I want all of your strength and all of your mind and all of your soul and all of you. That's how we become balanced. And as we do that, we can see how that infiltrates other parts of our life. We can see that it matters that we can use that as a pattern. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, very popular scripture, we know that we need to humble ourselves and seek His face and pray and turn from our wicked ways. But the promise is that God will then hear. He will hear what we're asking and He will forgive the sin and heal the land. Now, we all have land to some degree that might need to be healed. Maybe that land looks like your marriage. Does your marriage need to be healed a little bit? Maybe you've got some children that's kind of gone awry and you need God to touch them and heal them. Maybe it might be your career. Maybe it might be a sickness or something. I mean, we all have these different things that we fight with and that we take before the Lord. But even in marriage... See, if I take this same pattern, love God with everything, and I put that in my marriage, now all of a sudden I'm not loving my wife. You're not loving your spouse surface deep. You're committed to them. And see, that changes the ballgame completely. Your spouse has to have your heart, and you have to have your spouse's heart. That means we work for them, we serve them, we love them, and we think about them. So many people are married on paper, yet it's hard to be married and committed to somebody when you're thinking that you wish you had somebody else's husband or wife. Or maybe you're wishing that they were way different than they are. That doesn't do anybody any good. What we do is we take this pattern and we apply it to our lives, and the same is true even with children. So many parents love children surface deep, and they've been fooled into thinking that they have this deep commitment for kids, but really it's surface level. Now, you guys, I, I know that, that you guys love your children, but we have to fight this, and we have to go back and say, God, does my children have my parent heart? Because we can give our kids time and think that's enough. We can provide for our kids, and that's enough. We can just listen to our kids and leave the other two, and that's enough, but that's not what calls into balance. It's that you have my heart, and that you have my strength, and that you have every part of me as a parent. And whenever we'll love our kids like that, we'll see great things. And I see in our culture today children who need that kind of parenting. And as a parent, the good news is, the hope is that we can take this pattern and maybe you're struggling, you can implement it in your life and then you can see the difference because we weep what we sow, amen? I don't know how many times I'm in a store or a restaurant and I see, I see a parent throw a wall-eyed fit. You guys know what a wall-eyed fit is? Yeah, it embarrasses like three tables around them, right? Yeah, and they do all that stuff and you've seen that and then their kid acts up and they get onto their kid for acting up. 
I'm like, you think there's a little bit of learned behavior there? <laughs> you know? What's going on here? We can't, we can't be that. In our culture, it breaks my heart because I see men and women both alike. They have pockets full of marijuana. They have pockets full of pills and alcohol and tobacco, yet their kids doesn't have proper clothing or bedding or electricity or even hot water. And that's an unbalanced life. And if you don't correct that, then you begin to practice in sin because God has called us to love our family. And we can no longer deny that that is not real. Amen? And not that we were denying it. But the Bible makes it clear that if we practice sin, well, those people won't inherit the kingdom of God. Whenever Jesus was talking to these men and women, or the men that he was talking to, he called them out. And he was saying, if you don't do these things, then you're not following me. And because of our political correctness as a church across the nation, we have a hard time. And I'm not talking about calling people out. I'm talking about preaching the truth in love. And people who deny God but still come to church, maybe through their actions, maybe they won't engage, they won't give, they won't do these type of things. And Christ was telling these guys that they don't have it figured out. But in today's culture, because of the hyper grace, because of things like this, we just call them weak Christians. And we give a false sense of hope. Now, it's different. Listen to me. I know we got really quiet, and that's okay. It's okay. Sometimes you feel like you're alone up here. There's a difference between a mistake and a failure than a lifestyle. And when people create lifestyles where they deny their spouse or they deny their kids or they deny their God, they're in, they're in dangerous territory. Jesus was talking to the same group of men in John 8, and he said this to them. He said, your father's the devil. You're not a weak Christian. Your father's the devil. And I don't say that to be nasty or angry. What I do is hopefully that will stir us up where we go back and we do a heart check. I was sitting in the living room of one of my mentors four or five weeks ago trying to figure out Scripture in the Old Testament. And after we got through, we were talking about having this walk with God. And here he's been serving the Lord 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And he looks at me, Matt, and he says, Matt, even now, I ask God, is this a heart condition? Is this just something that I'm doing because I want to make sure that this is my passionate decision to follow you? This is a heart decision. And it's good no matter what your age that we go back and we check that. Amen. And we say, God, let it be a heart decision. And when we do that, we find purpose and balance. We find purpose and balance or balance and purpose. Jesus goes on here in verse 31. It says, the second is this. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. There are no other commandments greater than these. We forget that Christianity, it either becomes about me or it becomes about them. And it should be about us. I don't know how many times even in ministry, and I'll say that pastors are the world worst about it, we'll get so ingrained in what we feel like God's called us to do that many times our family will suffer. Many times we'll take other things that we don't need to say no to and say no to it because we feel like we need to do this. And truthfully, what it is is as me, and I'll talk about me, my priorities are out of whack. I don't have my priorities set straight. And here Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. And see, it helps us understand that our purpose is to reach the world. 
But the practical thing is maybe when I go pray, it's also for me too. I'm not just praying for the lost. I'm praying, God, speak to me, show me so, I, so that I don't become lost. When I study, it's not so much that I'll have all the answers, but maybe it's also so I can give the answers. Because I'm loving people as I love myself. When I go seek strength from God, it's not so much that I always have strength, but then I can give strength. It's hard to give something you don't have. See, and I love my neighbor as I love myself. I want them to meet Jesus. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to seek Jesus. Well, then I better be loving, seeking, walking with him, and having that personal relationship. Whenever I go seek healing, it's so that I can encourage and pray for people to have their healing. Amen? So we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. But there's this life of balance, and it's hard. It's something that's earned. It's something that we walk in. I love how the Apostle John puts it in chapter 5 of 1 John, verses 2 through 5, and this is where we'll end. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. Love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that will keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Remember the very first key that we talked about? We go back to that. It's our faith that unlocks these other keys in our life. As God speaks to us, that Jesus Christ really is who he said he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Not only in the Bible and, 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 and all the things that we know to come, but in our everyday lives. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And it goes back to bringing us back to that point that there's one God. That God and Jesus are one. And that helps us with our view because we're not searching out all these other entities. I don't know how many people that I've talked to that's lost the faith. And when you begin to talk to them, it's because they begin to search out all these other religions and all these other things. And confusion set in. Which confusion is a very powerful thing or Satan wouldn't use it. Satan's not into things that doesn't destroy, kill, and steal. So we have to be on guard. But in that scripture, it shows us in 1 John chapter 5 that it's easy. It's easier than we think. We love God's people. We obey Him because we have that spirit inside of us that makes us an overcomer. But we have to go back to that key of faith. And there's two ways that we do that. If you're not saved this morning, it's through the prayer of salvation where you give your heart and soul to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Until then, none of this will make sense. Your view with God won't be right, and certainly your view with people will not be right. The next way is as a Christian, some of us need to come out of the bunker waving the flag. We need to give God some of our land and saying, we need you to heal it. I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to give it to you. I've been out of balance in this area or that area. But because of our view is proper, we know who to go to. There's no confusion, and we know that he is a God that's loving and caring, and we can do that. Would you bow your heads with me? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory and hope changes everything.